Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not all that glitters is gold. Half the story has never been told. Because righteousness governs the world. Come take a musical journey. From the suburbs of Long Island to the ghettos of Kingston. A heartbreaking overdose. A disturbing discovery. The last chance to redeem a stolen legacy. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica from a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. In the reggae anthem Get Up Stand Up, the whalers sing, not all that glitters is gold. Half the story has never been told. My friend Brian always dreamed he could make the world a better place. Maybe by me telling his story, he still can. Consequence Podcast Network presents Rootsland, Season 1, Reggae Junkie Joe. Whole barrage of righteous people out there. Because sometimes the story is the best song. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for making your way here, checking out this uh, this episode, this series. Hopefully you dig what you hear enough to hit the subscribe button. I do three interviews every single week, brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if you want to keep up with your favorite artists, discover some new ones, or just know what's happening in the music world, make sure to subscribe at any of the major spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, uh, YouTube for the video versions, or again, anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, I'm talking with Pat Monahan of Train. It's the 20th anniversary of their sophomore record, Drops of Jupiter. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what they had to go through to get to this record, overcoming expectations and doubt, 
from the industry, the record labels, the managers to uh, eventually deliver what became one of the biggest songs of that era. Uh, this all happens while Pat's going through the tragedy of losing his mother. That makes its way into the record. He talks about uh, uh, one of the songs that was written uh, specifically about that, as well as 9-11. You know, this, like lots of records, like every record that came out in 2001, especially late 2001, it sort of became part of the story of uh, releasing a record during 9-11. So we want to hear about that, and we'll actually uh, draw the similarities to what it's been like being an artist during the pandemic. So let's get into this and talk about, uh, again, one of the biggest records of the past 20 years. It's Kyle Meredith with Train. How are you? So we are. We're, we're stretching back a couple decades here, talking about uh, the 20th anniversary of uh, what's become a, a landmark little record for you. Um, I, I hope you don't mind the broad question to start out at, but what, what do you remember just about going into it? Because this is the sophomore record. You know, you, you had Meet Virginia as the hit coming off of it. You know so much about rock history yourself. I feel like you probably understood the weight of what this record could have meant at the time. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm excited to be a part of a podcast that uh, has the word consequence in it, because uh, <laughs> then when you tune in, you're like, ah, crap, I shouldn't have tuned in. I guess that's the consequence. You know, Drops of Jupiter was an interesting time because we we were this little band out of San Francisco that nobody wanted to manage and nobody wanted to sign. And so Columbia Records, uh, they flew us to New York and they all uh, came to see us and they walked out of the room and basically said, I didn't see anything special. So we made our own record. We borrowed money to, uh, to do it, just money from friends and family, whoever would provide us with anything, even a space to record in. Uh, and one of the guys had a friend who helped us record it. So that earned us a chance to make an album. So we, we did that. And then when Meet Virginia was worked, you know, when it started to catch on, the Columbia Records came back and they were like, hey, this record sounds pretty good. Let's add another song and, and go from there. And so we were still being developed in their eyes. They signed us to Aware Records and instead of, you know, the Columbia label. And that wasn't really heard of even back then. And I'm not sure if they, if if, they, if kids even know what that even means anymore as a development kind of project. And what it means is that they're going to work really hard to kind of get you to a place where you're worth putting on the big label. So they, uh, they did that. Meet Virginia became a song that sold a million albums and that gave us a chance to make another record. But we weren't having any luck, <clears throat> any luck writing the hit that they were looking for, for us to graduate. Uh, and so we had an entire album made. I had lost my mother that year and was not really uh, in a good space at all. And so we had all these songs written and the album title was called Something More. And we had a deal among the band that we don't write outside of the band, which if you're in a band right now, don't make that deal because it, uh, it keeps you from what you could possibly do. So we made that deal to protect other people and, uh, I had a dream. I wrote all of Drops of Jupiter in 15 minutes. And uh, when I flew to New York to be told, basically, it's time to write with other people, I had the demo in my pocket. And I played it for the guys at Columbia, or the main guy, Donnie Einer, and he closed his eyes and listened to it. And it was right about the time that uh, Almost Famous was a really huge movie. And so he heard the song and he freaked out and he was like, "Whoa, song of the year. And uh, he was like, we got to get Paul Buckmaster to do a string arrangement because, you know, Almost Famous was so alive in him at the time. And 
Uh, so all these ideas came to him and we uh, we just did it. And it was an interesting time for me because I wanted to, guys like me want to be invited to the party, but we just don't want to go, right? You know, like you, you, want to, you want the main guy to love you, but you don't want to hang out, right? You just want him to understand that you're a, 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 an artist. And so he called me that night and he was like, man, I've listened to this song a hundred times. It's just so incredible. And uh, it was a cool thing because I hadn't even talked to the guy, per, you know, face to face till I went in and played the demo. So it was a cool graduation period for me where the sophomore album had the potential now to, instead of being a slump, it could be the way we move into the world. And then we got to travel around the world after that. So your broad question of what do I remember about recording it? <laughs> is like it wasn't nearly as exciting as the beginning you know writing a song in 15 minutes and uh and you know after the loss of you know the most important figure in in a boy's life and uh it was it was you know it was magical and cool and you know hearing strings put on the song and like you know tearing up because of how beautiful it is but uh what came before the recording is really the magic it's uh, it's interesting that they couldn't hear um they didn't think that you were ready to graduate at first i hope i'm remembering this right because i'm i have this memory of i think you were on a vh1 show it was like a top 10 countdown show maybe meatloaf or somebody was hosting yeah. in my head and yeah and meatloaf i remember christy alley was on that or uh, yeah yeah, I remember him saying to you, and I think this was only after Meet Virginia, you guys were talking about these bands with longevity that you'll be talking about in 20 years. And he said something like, but we're going to be talking about you in 20 years. And I think you just kind of gave him a humble like, yeah, maybe whatever, you know, but, but it's like, it's interesting to me. Of course, we got the, you know, the nice thing of hindsight at this point that, that right. they didn't see that potential in you because even after that first record, it just seemed like it would have been obvious for any other band. Yeah, there's no obvious. Um, and, and everything that I've ever written that seemed obvious was a dumper. You know, like uh, Meet Virginia was, I don't know why that was a hit. You know, it was just quirky and weird. And then Drops of Jupiter was, it seemed like the longest song on the radio. You know, there were all these pop songs and boy bands and all of a sudden this song and it's like, man, what are you doing? And then years later, you know, there's a ukulele and uh, it was like, what is this crap? You know, so everything that kind of made its way through was not obvious. There was no obvious ever. And, and every time I do write something obvious, it's just obviously bad. Well, you know, some of the deeper cuts on here, of course, some of your, your greatest standout moments to me uh, as a fan like going back, I've heard this record, you know, a thousand times or whatever, but now going back sort of with this focus on there. First off, Let It Roll is so pretty and so musically sad. Like the feeling of forlorn that I cannot escape when that song is on is, yeah. you know, I'll reuse the word, it is magical. Kind of the emotions that come out of that. Uh, I'll, I'll turn back around. Where did that come from? Because what a mood. That was actually the song I wrote about losing my mom. So it seemed like maybe you were writing to, uh, you know, your lover or whatever, but uh, it was, I, you know, I don't talk about this and, and haven't, but uh, we were on tour, you know, touring Meet Virginia. And I think we were out with Better Than Ezra. And the way I found out my mom was terminally ill was that uh, I did a show and there was a, a girl, I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. So this girl from my hometown, who is a family friend, I don't even know her. She was my other fam, like friends of uh, my sisters. And she showed up 
to the show and after the show she came backstage and whatever and the way i was told that my mother was terminally ill was she gave me a card and i was like oh this is nice she's gonna say you know thanks for the tickets or whatever and it basically said your mom is really sick you should call her and i was like well, wait what and so there were no cell phones and you know there was no internet so i went out to a payphone and and just like cried for an hour on the phone with my mom and that song came from it is uh let it roll because i don't know what else to do it's just yeah. the saddest thing i've ever been told i mean what 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 a case of of really a song capturing every single uh, bit of that emotion because i didn't know that story but i can still feel some of that coming through yeah um just a you know uh talent well, hey song. thanks for bringing it up again kyle it's uh <laughs> Really nice, man. I uh, thought you know I... what I can switch this up because another <laughs> one of the songs, uh, "Whipping Boy," uh, that yeah. that goes to show right there. Like, if you all you could have chosen to be so many different things, I think, and and I am I'm complimenting your talents here as a songwriter because that that takes it somewhere else. I mean, your vocal take on that song is so cool and interesting, and the, you know this the way it's coming out. It's it's still mm. dark. It's raspy. You know, a little raw and all of that, but. But was there a point where you all, I don't know, you probably not, but is there a point where you all say, oh, we can go further down this, what we called it modern rock at the time, post-alternative world or whatever, we can go in the pop rock way. Was that part of the conversation? Because you could. You know, that song was a, a definitely a reflection of what we were listening to at the time. Like, uh, I was just going through this with my uh, my music director jerry who who is my tour manager at the time on that first uh tour and we we were reflecting about all the music we were listening to so it was like you remember sparkle horse i don't know how old you are but there was a band called sparkle horse and we were just couldn't believe how cool they were and uh, there was a band called brad mm -hmm. stone uh, gossard couldn't Sean believe Smith. how good it, it was so cool like uh we weren't pearl jam guys but we were brad guys and uh then there was uh, uh, a band called uh, Grantley Buffalo. So all these like Grantley uh, Phillips, he was on a, my podcast when I had one, um, not nearly as good as yours, but he would play electric guitar, but on an acoustic guitar. So he would like plug into all the same stuff. And so we were just trying to capture all the things that we loved so much. And that was, uh, that was all from that stuff. I, I do want to bring up a little bit more of the, of the big hit um, while we got a moment with, with Drops of Jupiter, because for what that started as, for what it became, it, the, the life that it still has on top of everything. I mean, it gets covers. I mean, I wrote down a couple of them. What, you've gone from everybody from Judy Collins and Taylor Swift doing that live. You Judy know, Collins it, did that live? I've read that Judy Collins did that live. Oh, that's a great, uh, that's a great honor. I didn't know that. Yeah, Taylor and I, we wrote a song together uh, because, you know, she's super sweet and uh, was a big train fan during all of that. And uh, I didn't realize what an impact that would be on society because she's a very important kid in the, uh, well, she's a grown up woman now, but in the world of music. But the other story of this album that people don't really know about is it was uh it it came out before 9-11 but we were traveling in the world and and working the record during 9-11 like mm -hmm. during while it happened i was on a runway and my plane got turned around and we we shot a four hundred thousand dollar video uh for a song called something more and in the video this is prior to 9-11 like by about two months 
in the video, I was climbing a sky rise building to reach this woman. And then as soon as this happened, it was like, no, there's no more Skyrise videos anymore. <clears throat> so the whole album was a very up and down period. So the only hit on the album was Drops of Jupiter. There wasn't really a chance. Like by the time the momentum started, it just got weird. You know, what's his name? Michael Anthony, not Michael Anthony, but uh, Anthony, Mark Anthony. He had a song that was about to come out that they thought was a massive hit called Tragedy. They were like, Ding, garbage can. Like everything about that time, James Taylor's song, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, flying, wait. Fire and rain. Sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground. They dumped that song. Nobody would play it anymore. It was a very strange time for, for music because we didn't find those things to be offensive, but they absolutely were. And yeah. uh, everybody had to shift. But so the, the, the album came at a strange time and the chances of other songs being heard just just dwindled out. I remember that time well. I mean, I was in radio and you, you start to... Jimmy Eat World was, they hadn't released the middle yet, but they, their first single was Bleed American. And that one was kind of, I mean, there were so many of these things and, and hearing about so many artists who were out promoting their music at the time and how the rug kind of got yanked out. I'm trying to respectively draw a parallel uh, really as to what we've gone through in the past year, you know, with is sort of the this same. This is so far worse. This is yeah. so much worse. And, and the reason is because we don't even know the music that we'd be hearing right now if if we uh if we would have just kept on the trajectory that we were in because when it when you record an album the reason you record it is so that you can present it right and the way that we know how to present it is by traveling around and playing it live for people and people going oh shit i really like that guy or that girl is the coolest bass player i've ever seen or this song means something to me whatever the whatever the connection is none of it happened in the last year no no young people had a chance to be heard far worse than than anything that's ever happened musically in, during my lifetime yeah and 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 it's sort of in that sense of repurposing songs too it's it's a different thing you know what we were talking about with 9-11 it was the songs that was written suddenly you couldn't get away with just them existing for a moment in time and on the flip side now you're having all of these bands and i don't know if you're going through this too where you've had songs written in the past few years that obviously had nothing to do with this, that didn't predict this, but now becomes to, to speak for this moment so specifically. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any of that. I have gone out of my way to not write a song about COVID because it's kind of like a terrible ex-girlfriend where you're like, why would I write about you? You're awful. You know what I mean? Like uh, COVID does not deserve a song to be written about it. So that's where I'm at. I don't have a past song and I won't have a future song to reflect any of it. Do, do you treat the uh, general politics in the same way? I mean, obviously the, the reflection of a songwriter, you know, to the world, a lot of that just naturally seeps in. How, how does it work for you? I think that people naturally gravitate towards what they are good at. And what I'm good at is trying to make an emotional connection between music and feelings. There are way smarter people than me that should be singing or performing about politics uh, or race relationships and things that are very heavy and need to be discussed and, and talked about and performed about and written about. But uh, I'm, that's not my strength. And I leave that up to people that are smarter than me, um, have the right more than I do. Uh, I think it's just better that I 
do what I'm good at, which is just try to make a, a some type of connection between music and feelings and uh, and sometimes they feel political, but I, I don't know that they are. I mean, for me, politics is, uh, I, I, I don't get emotional about it the same way I get emotional about love or, or you know, relationships that I care about. Life is too short for, for that for me. I was just uh, remembering it wasn't too long ago, probably just weeks ago. Um, did you follow uh, AC Newman, Carl Newman, new pornographer's lead singer, the, the Twitter thing that he had gone on about talking about how you are as a lyricist and your connections no yeah well what, something what like the premise of it train you had some scrutiny back in the day about some of your lyrics the soy latte moments you know the chicken i think that started with that of him mm. saying wait a second this guy is an amazing lyricist and it it's sort of that um you know uh, again the way culture kind of wraps around the way the critics paint history at one point and then 20 years later, you can go back and go, all of that was wrong. You know, mm. all of that was wrong. And I don't know what you went through at the time. I mean, again, when I put the focus back on this in ways that, you know, I wouldn't just listen to it generally, the chicken stick in line is genius because it's not the even the end of the line. The rhyme comes in the middle of it. Mm. You know? <laughs> well, the moments. you know, during that, there were several things that I was asked to change for different reasons. The and soy latte was asked, uh, I was asked to take that out and because that sounded not masculine enough. And I was like, I, I don't understand that either. Like there were so many things that, so when we recorded it, you know, I was asked to try some different things and I was like, great. So I sang it the way I sang it every time. And I was like, you guys should like sing it the way you want it because this is the way I want it. And it was the only time I ever like put my foot down. I'm not that kind of artist where it's like my way or the highway. I, I do like to compromise, but in those certain circumstances, it, it just wasn't right. It just was like, man, this is what I wrote. And I don't know why I wrote it. I don't even drink soy lattes at the time. I didn't, but no, no, I'll throw one down once in a while. But uh, those types of things, I, I don't understand. I don't know. I didn't understand at the at the time what the why they would be offensive to anybody. They 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 seem to be pretty general, fun little lyrics to uh, to work on and uh, or to listen to. And hopefully they they will remain that way. Well, they became iconic in the meantime, so uh, we know who won on that argument right there. Uh, Twenty years on, Pat. Uh, congratulations on this one. It's still a hell of a record. I do love listening to every bit of it, um, and it's been so much fun talking to you about this too. Can't wait to hear what comes next. I know it's been a couple of years since the last record, so I'm looking forward to uh, to the next chapter. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Kyle. My thanks to Pat Monahan. Train the 20th anniversary of their sophomore record, Drops of Jupiter. Thanks to you for checking out this episode. Uh, please, again, hit that subscribe button before you get out of here so you can keep up with all the interviews we do every single week. Uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, or again, YouTube, where you can find the video version of this as well. Just subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. And then after that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, big-time things, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I'm also over on TikTok at Kyle Meredith 81 
and uh, like and follow along and make sure to say hi when you do. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris. The list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.